My name is Jimmy, sometimes Jimmy J, and sometimes Shay. This is a podcast about human relationships, human potential, and that curious space between the dark and the light. So hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Twilight Conversations. Episode 78 over, you hear me? Quest of control over. Do we have anyone you can control over? <laughs> anyway, welcome on this Sunday afternoon, just 2.30. I'm just after watching Liverpool women beat Liverpool, beating Man United women 2-1. I follow the WSL, it's Women's Super League. Uh, brilliant, great standard of football. But it's kind of an extra buzz that Liverpool women beat Man United women and the big game is later on Liverpool men against Man United men um, at four o'clock hence I'm recording earlier um, Liverpool ladies team great women's team yeah, ladies they're all very ladies is this right that they're playing football but um, there's a couple of a few Irish uh, players playing for Liverpool as you could imagine uh, Leanne Kiernan is that her name not Leanne Kiernan yeah and the Fahi and there's a couple more I can't think of at the moment but it's great anyway brilliant to see that was really exciting to watch the standard of football is absolutely really really high I mean I played and I know it so often if you played a little bit you know it but you can recognise that it's fucking great you're thinking you wouldn't stand a chance out there against them they're super fit their skill level is really really high they know the game and they know the offside rule inside out Um. I mean, I joked with speaking with Mary C there that I, I played the game for years. I've studied it for years, and I, but I, I, I do obviously know the offside. But I, sometimes I get, I'm, I'm calling it and it isn't, and I think it isn't and it is. Now they have the VAR and all the lines, and it's like what, you know. And it's actually not as complicated as, as it's often made out. Once you can't be offside from your own half, you can't be offside from a throw in or a corner. Uh, but once the ball is kicked, once it leaves the foot of the person, that's when you make your run, right? If the ball is hit in, a, in a, an attacking direction, the, the ball leaves the foot and someone's gone before then, it's all can, can be close to hear them and scale, get out, get out. It's offside. You know, and then that, that's the arguments are all around. Did they move just a little before then or after then? Because it's often a very tight line. Sometimes people run out too quickly. You can run in behind and all that type of stuff. But that's your measure. You're watching the player who has, who's making that final pass when it leaves his or her foot. It's, it's almost got to be coordinated in that moment that you make your run. There you go. Offside explained in a couple of minutes, very simply. Anyway, that's really exciting and I'm kind of, I can't say I'm looking forward to the, the Liverpool United game today. Uh, two great clubs, two enormous clubs. And even though Liverpool are in better form, they're doing better, all that was out the window. Liverpool, Man United, it's probably the biggest club game in the world. Everybody watches it. It's like, you know, it's carnivorous, you know. It's at Anfield at Liverpool, that's a good thing. So anyway, I wanted to uh, be... be not done with this i love doing this but kind of ready to watch that um okay lots lots to get through on the show today but there is so many different things first off and um, where will i go first i'll come back to mary c lynch's last interview which again has got quite explosive 
uh, feedback, interest, and there most certainly will be a part three. And in fact, we've been discussing it. Not only will be a part three, there'll be regular. She'll, uh, Mary Sue, become a regular contributor to the podcast on her on her chosen subject. <laughs> that sounds like what was that? Um, I started, so I finish. Uh, what was that quiz show? But not Brain of Britain. Was it Brain of Britain? Uh, I'll think of it in a minute. Yeah, you get a specialized subject in general knowledge. And I'll come back to that. Magnus Magnuson used to do it. What was it called? Brain of Britain. Maybe that was it. Anyway, to discuss stuff, as will Rezor uh, be uh, a regular feature. That'll be like honorary co hosts, but they just won't be with me every week, obviously, in that sense. And uh, it might be a nice opportunity at some point for the three of us to meet and have a, a podcast together. Uh, there's a lot of quality in them too, anyway, that's for sure. Okay, so I'll come back to the Mary C's, Mary C Lynch's feedback and all of that. Um, somewhere back, I didn't get a chance to say it the last day, um, you know, I often follow, I do follow music and uh, age-wise, people that I grew up listening to are, are Doyla, obviously, we had Shane McGowan uh, recently, um, and Denny Lane, who was the founder member of the Moody Blues, mid-late 60s, very mystical band, way ahead of their time, uh, on the threshold of a dream, always very mystical kind of songs, lovely to see you again, my friend, Nights in White Satin, all that stuff, you know, question great great super band from birmingham originally denny lane founded them but then he played and was very much part of paul mccartney in the wings um from about 1970 71 he was very big in the particularly the band on the run album which was 71 72 could have been mistaken or not or let's see band on the run 73 um you know, great songs like Jet. It's all about feeling that lovely bluebird that featured on one of my podcasts. Lovely kind of ballady song. And then, you know, Let Me Roll It To You and Live and Let Die. Great, beautiful. And the song itself, Band On The Run. It's all about freedom, break it out. Uh, incidentally. So, uh, Danny Lane was like a great musician, guitarist, kind of organizer, producer. So, R.I.P. Danny Lane. Um, yeah. Okay. And, oh yeah, the, a very funny part before I move on. My uh, kitchen dance tune today, because someone said to me, make sure you put in your kitchen dance tune. Uh, I got a great kick out of that. Uh, was Roachford Feel For Me. You know that song, you got to feel for me, baby. Right, which is brilliant to move to, right? And again, I'm talking about being free in your movement. You don't have to dance any particular way. But why that's particularly funny is I'm a great... Uh, Steve Coogan fan, the wildly talented Steve Coogan, uh, brilliant, who created one of his alter egos, Alan Partridge. And they made a film, one of the films they made was called Papa, not Papa Hobo, that was Glenn's brother's band, that was Gary's band. Um, Papa, Papa something was, anyway, it was a spin off film from the Alan Partridge series. And Partridge is so good, he makes you feel normal. You know, I think we've all got an inner Alan Partridge secretly, you know. Um, but in the film, anyway, um, he's Alpha Papa, that's the name of the film. 
So he's driving us, the actual opening scene. So I would suggest to you, even if you don't know the song and you don't really know or, or like Partridge, this is so funny. Just Google Partridge Cuddly Toy because the song's called Cuddly Toy. You got a feel for me, right? That song um, by Roachford. And it's him driving his car. And if you know him, he's big into his driving and he has his leather gloves on his driving gloves. So he lip syncs the song in the car and it's one of the funniest things you've ever seen the film is not bad as it happens films are never as good as the regular series the film is quite funny but that opening scene alone google it it's about three minutes and he's typical paratrice so in the middle of the song what he's lip syncing he's he's kind of like he's indicating another guy you got your smog lights on you got there's no smog you got your smog lights on it's fucking brilliant i laughed and laughed as i danced to her because i could just see him and coogan is just so talented and it's a great song. It's a good opening song for what I'm going to talk to you about. It's a, a really, a, as all these are, a follow-on from uh, the Mary C. Lynch interview. And I'm going to explore much, much more, hopefully in depth, because we can brush over. Someone said to me, you can you brush over that. Uh, what, what actually is, what does it mean to heal and recover from coercive control, from narcissism, from... Uh, domestic violence I will spend a bit of time they they overlap but there's differences and Reds and I had a good chat earlier on about the, some of the differences between domestic violence and coercive control um, so you could be uh, someone who you could be a domestic violence perpetrator and not a coercive controller and I'll well, I think I'll try and explain the difference with uh, Reds are in my mind with her help uh, there are differences but all coercive controllers will engage in some form of domestic violence. Okay, so that's a, there's an important difference there. The, the the overall heading I want to use is the dark tetrad. I'm going to abbreviate it to DT just so you know, so I won't have to keep saying the dark tetrad. So automatically, if you're a coerc coercive controller, you're in the dark tetrad. And I'll just remind you of what the dark tetrad is. Right? Narcissism. Machiavellianism, psychopathy, and sadism. They're kind of grouped together. Delightful stew of abuse there for you, uh, of those qualities. And the coercive control people, when they go to coercive control college, that's what they learn all. Their homework is always, go and learn about the dark tetrad. Machiavellianism, kind of manipulative, self-seeking, crafty, sneaky, all that type of stuff. That figures hugely in coercive control, the Machiavellian nature, because it's all about mind control, right? The narcissism pff, goes hand in hand, doesn't it? It's just there, that fucking entitled attitude, you know? Uh, the psychopathy slash so sociopathy is there, ranging with some more than others in their ability or inability to feel empathy or to experience any kind of empathy for the other. It's very low or non-existent in coercive control situations. Um, I'd say non-existent, you know, with a domestic violence situation, it might be there. We'll come, we'll come back to that. And sadism, just that wicked sense of enjoying getting torn down by inflicting pain on the other. And not in that lovely two adults you know, consensual, let's have a bit of fun and do a bit of dominatrix shit, right? Um, that's Red's forte, <laughs> the little red dominatrix. Um, we've had such fun with that lately, actually. Not in that very playful, fun way, you know, and it wouldn't be real sadism, you wouldn't be really hurting someone. This 
is real hurt, real abuse. It's really sticking the knife in and it's twisting it. And they're literally orgasming while you're suffering, the more you suffer. And unfortunately, with uh, coercive control in the dark tetrad, you will obviously you'll get that. So not only they're abusing you, they're fucking you up, they're gaslighting you, they're manipulating you, they're doing all that type of stuff. They're getting absolute enjoyment. Don't ever think they're not. They're loving it. They're getting off on it. Let's call it what it is. Okay. Um, the, the guy, we'll say guy, who's the perpetrator of domestic violence, he's not getting off on it. He's doing it, but he's, he's, he, he's, he's a different animal, which I will explain in a few minutes. So I want to really explore, other than that I'm not not making light of this, ending up in hospital or, which is fucking horrendous, through the your uh, injuries as a result of being beaten on, beaten up on, having to flee, having to run, feeling unsafe, that those obvious, very dangerous parts of being in, in a coercive control situation. Um, I want to talk more about the long-term effects, hopefully not too long, but the what, what that really does to you, to add to what Mary C. Lynch has already said, and we'll be saying more of, and we've said what, what, what that's like, what goes on really, okay? Because this is really, really important. This isn't just uh, your simple, like, now I think my self-esteem is a little bit low after that bit of a, uh, a mind-fucking him after getting there with that person, you know? A few good affirmations and all will be well. Nothing wrong with good affirmations. This is much deeper, you know, much deeper uh, erosion of the sense of self. And is, and is, and if as Mary T, Mary T, who's Mary T? Mary C. There was a Mary T back in the 80s. Ah, Mary T. If you happen to be listening, we lost contact. I think we worked in Simon together or we worked in a, a domestic violence organization together we did we did mary t what was her surname from carlo mary if in some weird way you're listening get in touch girl get in touch um mary t think right anyway so mary c was referring to the uh that kind of impact of coercive control how it happens and what goes on um and i suppose the the insidious nature of how it ekes away at your sense of self. You know, again, when you step away from the immediate first aid dangerous stuff, which has to be taken care of, of course, uh, what it does to your, your psyche, your sense of who you are. Okay. So again, I'm going to use the term DT. I got the DTs, man, delirium tremens, no, for dark tetrad. And you know that that means narcissism, Machiavellianism, psychopathy, sadism. Uh, yeah, and that's coercive controls automatically in there, right? Uh, yeah, if someone tunes in in the middle and they didn't hear, they just hear me talking about DT, they've got the DTs. It's supposed to be about alcohol withdrawal or something. Uh, yeah. The term coercive, incidentally, an interesting term. Uh, I always feel it means secretive, even though covert is secretive, but I, somehow they go together in my mind. But what it, actually, what it actually means is, of course, is force and the big one, threat, the threat, intimidation, manipulation, controlling, gaslighting, etc. But it's, it's that threat. And 
with with very polished coercive controllers, they seldom have to even lift a hand. As Mary said, it might be a little, <clears throat> or a look, or a tapping of a pen, or a way a cigarette is lit, or the way someone opens a door, you know, and boom, they're in there. They've uh, controlled the whole situation. So it's that threat that's always there. There's, there's a, a, you know, to create that without, and they may lift a hand as well, of course, but to do without that. And the threat of that is always there. But there's another threat. It's an awful, awful threat that something awful is going to happen. So they, they fuck around with a kind of catastrophic expectation because you live with that all the time. All right. Okay. Okay. Right. There was, maybe was there something else I was going to say musically? Yeah. I'll come back to that. Yeah, there's plenty of music to come in. Yeah, Moody Blues, we had that, Danny Lane. So, I suppose, oh yeah, yeah, feedback from Mary uh, C. Again, people were shocked, not in a like shocked, oh, it's awful, but st still shocked that the, the levels of abuse that exist, the responses from the, ver the systems, which again, and you know, Mary acknowledged there are great people in those systems, people really trying hard, uh, but we need an anarchy of the systems, basically, because they often unwittingly uh, support the perpetrator and blame the uh, victim, you know, not not intending to. So yeah, that's the bit I wanted to get out, and, and young, the young red dominatrix and I had a conversation about this as well, the term, you know the way Mary C was talking about, often if she ends up, a woman ends up in therapy or somewhere like that, um, the energy can be, at worst, what did you do to make him do that? It's just fucking shocking, isn't it? Uh, how, why can't you understand him a little bit more? La, la, la. You know the thing I was joking about, you know, obviously it's not understanding. Claire. What are women doing anyway? All that nonsense, that awful stuff. Um, that if you understood this man better, he wouldn't be behaving the way he did. Let's knock that on the head from the word go, right? No matter who you are, or how you're behaving, or whether you were primed, that's what I meant to say, whether you were primed in the past, as Mary spoke about, uh, you've had it in your family of origin, and it's it's you're primed to put other people first, but not in a good way, to allow people to abuse you, to feel responsible for their bad moods, bad behaviors, all of that stuff, right? You're not responsible for them. You're not. Even if you intimidate, not intimidate, you're seldom intimidating, even if you irritate them, aggravate them, because that's what they'll tell you you do, right? I wouldn't be like this if it wasn't for you. All that shit. And even if that's not said, it's felt in the undercurrent, isn't it? That's the whole nature of this, right? Let's just be really, really honest and clear. You are not responsible as an adult for another adult's behavior. Let's get that crystal clear. Even if your habits of behavior are not helping you get out of it, because that can happen, you're still not responsible for their behavior. Let's make that 100% clear. Okay. So then uh, Mary spoke about the M. Well, I'm an empath. You know, I'm the empath. And there's two ends to this I want to address. And this is where Reds and I were chatting about it earlier on. One end that Mary was referring to is, and rightly so, 
that the woman may be encouraged, well, you need to not be empathic anymore. Don't be a nice, kind, loving human being because that's the problem. If you weren't like that, you're going to, you know, bally up, get all fucking strong and become a cunt. You know, <laughs> kind of thing. And uh, you may never have anyone come dark on your door again, but you'll never have anyone do anything with you if you're like that. You know, it's just, it's an awful strategy. You know, good boundaries. Yes, of course, that's another day's work. I'll be coming to that in a little while. So Mary was identifying it from that perspective. And it's a real distortion of what needs to happen. You know, because what needs to happen is your empathy, your natural kindness is a beautiful thing. You might be a bit selective about who you kind of uh, let that flow with a little bit more. That's okay. You know, that's red flags and stuff. We'll come to that as well. You, you might be. that. That's something we can, you know, get a little tweak on. Uh, maybe keep that for ourselves a little bit. Recognize certain people are not going to appreciate that and are going to abuse that. Uh, coercive controllers themselves. The CCers um, will do that. Okay. So your natural empathy, there's nothing wrong with. But the bit that we, and this isn't what Mary was saying, but Reds and I was saying, I've noticed this and she had too. That some people say, I I'm an empath. Now I have a little bit of a problem with that. Not that someone's empathic. We're all empaths. But it can be used almost in a kind of entitled elite kind of, I've got this special gift as an empath. You fucking don't. We all do. Empathy is a natural human feeling. Most of us, it's a normal human reaction. We can be more empathic in certain days than other days. We are all empathic, right? Can we be, is that okay? Because that comes into the toxic positivity, like I'm an empath, I'm so special. And some of those, I'm not saying, some people say that innocently, they don't realize what they're saying, so let me make that disclaimer. But often that can be used in the toxic positivity sense. And the ones that use that are the same ones that are like, uh, covert narcissists they're awful in buying closed doors you know and they're doing yoga and doing this and doing that and you know and they're 5th Dan 27th Dan in fucking Reiki you know and there's nothing wrong with those things as I said but you know there's a a discrepancy to how someone behaves what they say and how what actually comes out of them what they are you know so if you're calling yourself an empath there's a problem straight away, isn't it? You don't, it's not something you would call yourself. It's something we are, naturally. Um, for the narcissists and the coercive controllers, the DT people, it's not natural for them at all. Uh, they can pretend it, they can do a bit of cognitive stuff to reel you in, you know? Um, but yeah. So you're not empaths, you're, you're, you're just being silly and you're trying to make yourself out to be elite, special and and maybe you need to know you are anyway already. So let's let's take a, take it as a given that human beings are empathic. That's where natural because the other way is like well we're the empaths and everyone else isn't. Fuck off, you know. Um, and the fact that you're an empath isn't the reason why people are narcissistic. They're that way anyway. It's that's the way they are. The DT people are that way anyway. Is that clear? Yes. Please go on. I, I think it's clear enough, you know. Because um, I find it a bit irritating. A little, little, little bit irritating, you know. So, what are we left with when we escape this kind of assault? 
this cauldron of abuse, if you will. Or if, if maybe you're still in it, you're still entangled, trapped, uh, or you know, or trying to exit the process from a coercive control partner. You know, I mean, apart from the immediate danger to life, health, and well-being, how does this continued violence? I mean, at all levels, that violence is leave us feeling about ourselves. What's the underlying damage? What is it that the healing path, what is the healing path process, basically, I suppose I'm asking you. What really is that? So we can say those words, but what does that actually mean day to day when you get up and your stomach is churning and you, you just don't feel too good about yourself, to put it mildly. So I want to say, and again, this is my view, our healing began in the womb, maybe even before then. This is just my philosophical approach to life as well. And for me, it, it works, it fits in with this. It's not all of a sudden, life is grand, and then I met a coercive control person, and oh my God, there goes the day, right? <laughs> no, it's not quite like that. You know, I'm sure it was better before you met them, and we better after them, for sure. On our human journey, I know journey has become quite a bit of a, like a, on my journey here, but in the real sense, and we're coming in into the human experience. And I've said before, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And part of that human experience, and I'm not saying we're choosing to experience abuse, but maybe that challenge to find out who we are as a human, what that feels like, um, and to learn and work through that, you know, and understand and stay away from it if possible, right? Um, but there are other wounds in us, and as Mary said, we might be primed for a quest control relationship because maybe we had it as kids. So that's part of our journey. What I'm saying here is a positive. There's nothing wrong with us in our spirit and our soul. Really, we're coming into this experience from somewhere else with a whole other thing going on, right? So we're passing through in human form, and these are some of the experiences we're having. Oh, you don't have to agree with that, just the way I see it, rather than everyone's kind of getting on and, and doing well and perfect and somehow I keep meeting these fucked up lunatics. What's wrong with me? You know, do you get me? Uh, it's not quite like that, you know. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, start texting. Am I taking you up on that, Jim? No, I'll come in to watch the match with me later. Um, So, I think it's important for me to lay it out that way. That it's not an isolated thing. Yes, there are isolated incidents, of course, but this is part of the human journey. It's not a pleasant part of it, and it's a part we could do without. Um, I don't know how much of it we need to be in to learn what we need to learn, but, you know, uh, that's really up to us, isn't it, what we learn. Uh, and it's okay to learn not to be in them and to choose more fulfilling relationships, relationships that are joyful and loving and people that really want to be with you. Ain't it cool to have them in your life? People that really want to be with you because they just love you. I'm so grateful to have that. I hope you have too. Okay. So Reds are described in her uh, very articulate way and very insightful way. 
uh, of somehow accessing these areas. She said coercive control is like psychological terrorism. It's slowly and systematically and forensically, methodically eats away at your sense of self. It's a powerful description, isn't it? Just eats away at your sense, chips away slowly, forensically, methodically, systematically. This psychological terrorism. So maybe now it's time to say something about the difference between domestic violence, which is awful. So we're not saying one's better than the other, and coercive control. And both Reds and I have had experiences of working with men um, who have been perpetrators of domestic violence and who are trying to genuinely trying to do something about those men were not coercive control men. And that's here's the difference. So. The men who are in gay, who have been perpetrators of the awfulness of domestic violence, and they feel the awfulness of it also, trust me, not, not in the same way that the victim feels, for sure, I'm not trying to pretend, but often can have a coexisting addiction unresolved that can be in the way, that's not an excuse, but usually when the addiction is cleared up, you've got a better chance at accessing the person. Um, they will put their hands up and genuinely take responsibility. They often, we both found, have come from a family where there's been domestic violence, dad, you know, dad to mom. And they've watched that. And as we said, ironically, tried to stop the dad from beating up the mom. Uh, vowed never to be like that, but in that strange way that can happen, get caught into things and, and, and becoming the very thing you, you, you resent or hate. And that's quite a painful place to realize you've done that, you know. The, the difference, again, trying to make a difference doesn't sound as nicer, it's not nicer, there's nothing nice about domestic violence, but it can tend to be more explosive, it can be, be more reactionary, it can it may well be alcohol, drug-fueled, again, that's not an excuse, but that can be there. Um, it can be sporadic. The perpetrator of domestic violence hasn't got that Machiavellian manipulative mind in the same way, they're not engaging in what Reds are called, like uh, uh, creating a, a, a prison with no bars, but the prison is your psyche, you know, where the, the, the perpetrator of coercive control, he's the jailer, he's the psychiatrist, he's the one that decides whether you're going to come in and out of the jail, only there's no bars. It's, it's fucking so sinister, isn't it? Right. Well, your domestic violence, you're, you're run-of-the-mill. I don't mean to, to, to trivialize it at all. Sometimes, you know, I use dark humor with something that's very painful. Uh, your run-of-the-mill domestic violence perpetrator is not like that. He is reachable if he's willing to take responsibility and he has the capacity to take responsibility. The coercive controller is in the dark tetrad. This the domestic violence person isn't uh, in that, right? Uh, they're behaving awfully, they're behaving irresponsibly, they're more reactive, they've got impulse control, they've got anger management, to do, that's all the stuff they need to be doing. Uh, and they can do that, there's work there and recognising all of that. And they may not get their partner back, but they still need to do that work. But it's doable, and there's some healing work can be done with families in that, if a person is willing uh, to do that. Um, so, that that's quite that's the difference the coercive controller is calculated sinister 
mercenary, uh, forensic, as, as Reza says, meticulous. In, they, they sit around thinking of ways they can fuck you up, right? The domestic violence guy, he's having a few points. He's not thinking I'm going to punch the head off her later on. In fact, he's probably feeling shite about the last time he did it and hoping he doesn't do it. Now he's going the wrong way about it, but he's still drinking, right? He comes home with every good intention, but something kicks him off. He steps on the toy, the dinner isn't, you know, that type of stuff. And there's a row. He's coming from a place of real insecurity and hurt, as is the coercive controller. The coercive control is so arrogant. They wouldn't relate. They don't see themselves. They look down on the domestic violence guy. They think they're better. That's the kind of country you're talking about here, right? Um, so the domestic violence can be explosive, terrifying for children, awful, terrible woundedness can happen. It's shit, it's just a shit show. But there is a huge, there is a difference. He's not trying to get into our head the same way. He doesn't, the next day he's full of remorse. He's very sorrowful, really, really means it. Does all the silly, buys flowers, tries to get off the, da 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 da, da that cycle there. But he needs a bit of, with a good bit of support and willingness, that man can change. I know Red has, I have, and many other people have witnessed that. And they, they, again, they may not get their family back in the same way, but they certainly never walk that path again and don't want to with anyone. You know, if they stay on a program and follow what they need to be doing to manage their own uh, volatile kind of temper explosiveness their own vulnerability their own uh, and you take the gargle and the chemicals out of the way they have a chance to do that and if they're willing they can do that uh, and I know men that have never lifted a hand uh, ever again um, and they don't have all the other intricate insidious kind of manipulative shit that goes on with the coercive control you know so the, I hope that explains the difference uh, motivation is different. Um, as I said, it can be more, it's not planned, it can be more explosive, more uh, impulsive, and there's tremendous remorse. Now, that doesn't help the woman who's lying in hospital. I get, I'm not, you know, it's, it's really hard to try to say this, get the balance, but there is genuinely huge remorse in the person who's done it. It's not their their game is and they don't want you to feel bad they just feel really bad and they're just uh, dumping it on you and they're you know they're full of their own and they're wrong and they need to be called out and challenged and all of that absolutely you know but it's a very different animal all right okay i'm um and, and as Redzo points out the, the, when, when you so back to the coercive control is that systematic that getting into your head, creating that kind of prison, creating that kind of a uh, hostage situation. You know, you're a hostage in your own mind. They feel they've got the keys. They decide when you eat. You know, so imagine a, a typical prison scenario, uh, or cell situation, or dungeon, and you're relying completely on them to, you know, bring your food, tend to your wounds. This is what the coercive controller does without actually having the dungeon or the, the prison cell. Now, some people, some of them do create that as well, just for a bit of like, you know, but they've already created it psychologically. You get me? And that creates in the woman 
such terror, such paranoia, if you can imagine. It's a real trauma response, hypervigilance, hyperarousal. The area that's affected most is trust. Not only can I can't I can't trust myself, I can't trust you, I can't trust the environment. Do I trust the do I trust anything? That's the sense of self being decimated. It's awful, isn't it? It's fucking awful. But can be recovered from. Keep let's keep good faith here. That's the destruction of the sense of self. The word, you know, we've been using the word freedom quite a lot in the real sense of the word. And I might call this freedoms just another word for nothing left to lose, which you might recognize is uh, from a song called Me and Bobby McGee, written by Chris Christopherson, made more famous by the, the late great Janis Joplin, uh, who died in 1970, but that was released in 1971. And she got a husky voice going on. You know, feeling good was easy, Lord, when Bobby sang the blues. Feeling good was good enough for me. Good enough for me and Bobby McGee. Na, 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 na. No, both versions are good, but I particularly love Janis Joplin's version. Um, so the nothing left to lose statement, I mean that in the total positive way, because it can sound a bit kind of blasé and negative, not at all. When you've gone, when you're going through what we're describing there, when you've been beaten physically, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, your sense of self has been rinsed and squeezed out of you. Any shred of good you thought you had has been shat upon and pissed upon, literally and metaphorically, on a daily basis. The only upside to that is you've got nothing left to lose. It's like, do your fucking worst. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Do your worst. It's a bit like I think a Lou Reed song I quoted. Caroline says, "Was that it?" When in the middle of a desperate beating, she she kind of smiled to herself almost and kind of went, "Do what you like. I still don't love you." <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, what what can you do anymore? Yes, more to me, but like, fuck it. What can I do? You know that beautiful realization to impart to the person, like. No matter what you do, I'm not going to love you anymore for doing it. So I'm, 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 that's a freedom in an awful situation. So freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. So the only way is up from there, if you like, in in a way. That can sound a bit strange, me saying it that way. Um, but yeah, sometimes, you, you know, I don't know if you, I've often come to that space when I've been in a lot of difficulty through the years with different things and thought, okay. Well, I've been humiliated. So I don't have to worry about that. What's yeah, been put down, put down, shat on, spat on, fucking gossiped about, disgraced, literally beaten, all those kind of things. I don't want them again. I'm not saying isn't it great, but it's like I'm really not afraid of that anymore. I don't like it. But like there's something about now, again, this sounds so easy when I say it, but it's not. This takes daily chipping away, and I'm going to talk about this because while that slow, systematic breakdown of your personality happens with coercive control, recovery healing it means the slow rebuilding. You know, we have the technology. Remember Steve Austin, the six million dollar man. It's the slow rebuilding. That's on a daily basis, and we use everything we can: good friends, love, therapy. The songs I quote, the music, they just they accompany, accompany us on the way. And so we have terrible dark days and it doesn't change. But then we get a little glint of light and there's a bit of a change. And then we go again and we breathe. 
and then we have a shit day, and then maybe we have a good. That's the way it is. Let's get realistic about it. Because reconstructing or rebuilding, if we use those that language, uh, the sense of self, and we're, we're all, we're, we're, no, I say all, you'll hear me saying the sense of self is always there. We don't have to change that. But anything we had to that supported that or held that together in our whole trust belief system, that has been shattered. So we have to build that brick by brick, right? Step by step, step by step, a little piece of wood by a little bit, a little bit there, a little bit here. You know how long that takes. What we're really building around is the sense of self and realizing that's there, who I really am. I haven't let that shine, I haven't let that flow, but if I get that strong sense of self built around me, I can let that flow. I can start being who I really am, being free, you know. Freedom was good enough for me, good enough for me and Bobby McGee. Feeling good was easy, Lord, when Bobby sang the blues. Singing the blues can really help, whatever, you know. That's what the whole nothing left to lose means, the whole freedom thing. Mary C. Lynch spoke about, I just want to be free to be me. Just want to be free. Whether I'm a man or a woman, just want to be free. So you'll hear me talk about that a lot, the freedom to be the self. Does that really mean? And when, and again, I know this sounds easy for me to say, with your jailer or abuser or perpetrator, you get that sense after a lot of hard work and painful practice in yourself. Fuck you. Do whatever you got to do. You know, you're not responsible for me anymore. I've, I've broken that spell. That's not easy to break. You know, it's painstaking, but we can break the spell. Because it's a spell. It's almost like they weave dark magic on you. Without, that's what it's like. There's a dark magic. So we weave the spell with light and love and laughter, even when we don't want to laugh. And our lip is sore and horn from getting a dig. Well, you know, or a psychological inners is hurting from being beaten, psychologically humiliated, put down, uh, shamed, made feel small. You know, Reza spoke about feeling really small. Mary spoke about feeling really small. And that jail, that's just you in it. It gets so tight and so small, you know. Okay. The wonderful ocean color scene. I'm not going off the subject. I'm still talking about it. I'm just going to bring in a song. Wonderful band. I love them. They were like, I suppose, in a way, they probably came a little before Oasis. And Oasis are brilliant. But they were kind of overshadowed a bit by Oasis's huge success. And, and their success was rightly so. But ocean color scene are probably a little bit more polished, if I can say that, a little bit more subtle in their stuff. I, I love them. And I love Oasis as well. Um, but from the album, one from the modern, 1999, they did the song called Prophet in Peace. And it's a very, very clever song. And it also touches some of that shocking stuff that Mary C. Uh, Lynch spoke about in terms of this is a lucrative business. I, I know it sounds a bit sinister. The whole healing game can be a lucrative business for courts, for therapists, for social workers, in case people, you know, I'm not saying people are in it for that reason, but there is an element that uses it for that reason. On the bigger scale, uh, culture, society, maybe does not want to change these systems 
because it suits them. There's no profit in peace. There's no profit in love. For them. There is for us, right? That's really important. So in this song, it goes on, in profit and peace, it says, um, all the people under broken homes don't want to fight no more. All the people nursing broken bones don't want to fight no more. But there's no profit in peace, so we got to fight some more. Hey, we don't want to fight no more. It's a kicking tune. It's a great tune. And I'm going to talk about two types of fight. The good faith fight and the bad faith fight. No, we don't want to be fighting in that way anymore. We don't want to be at the end of someone's fight on us. But then there's the good faith fight, which is healing. We need to fight that shit. You know what I mean? We need to fight that negativity in ourselves and then when we meet it outside. And we can do that very quietly and humbly, but very strongly, day by day, day by day. Okay. The song goes on to say, All those who got a tired face don't want to fight no more. And all those who are lost without a trace don't want to fight no more. But there is profit in love of hate, so we must fight some more. And there certainly is profit, you know, in the love of hate, isn't there? Imagine that people want to keep that uh, zeitgeist, that kind of way of being, the love of hatred. You know, let's piss all over anything that's good. So let's look at Netanyahu, he's the president of Israel. I don't need to say much about what's going on there in the Gaza Strip, but Netanyahu is the problem there. I think the majority of ordinary Israeli people, they want him out and they want to change things. Orban, Hungary, Trump, America, the authoritarians, they're dedicated to hatred because it suits them. It suits their little fucking huge egos, but little willies, right? They're terrified. They're insecure men. Again, it's white men generally isn't it it's fucking white men you know in power who are keeping the hatred going who are uh, profiting from war profiting from misogyny all of that type of stuff right so that's why that song is so clever it touches all the different systems right the song's called profit and peace but it also goes right into the home and the broken bones and we don't want to fight. I don't want to fucking fight no more. Do you want to fight anymore that way? Did you ever reach that? I remember over the years with different, you know, thankfully I never had uh, too many of those type of fights with people, but where you kind of go, well, I'm just tired of fighting you. And even if they're not, I'm sorry, I see you. Don't want to fight anymore. It's not for me. Mm. And, and back to the kind of the healing being from the word go, the feelings that I've had I've had lots of good feelings too, but they're very painful, humiliating, uh, awful, shattered sense of self feelings I've experienced from young throughout are similar. This this healing's been going on all the way through and it has that thread. I go, oh, I recognize that. And of course it's changing. But there's no value in me kind of going, oh, there I go again in another one of those bogey relationships. That doesn't help. You see it recognize it what i find is i spend less time in them if they occur you know if they occur um where i would feel trapped in them before i felt it was my duty to stay and look after a person who was behaving very badly you know isn't it funny how often uh some coercive control relationships or narcissistic relationships start with us maybe feeling sorry for someone 
or something that are feeling like I'm going to give them a chance. I don't mean that in a patronizing way. I think everyone's, you know, and then they behave really nicely to you in the beginning, you know. Oh, that reminds me, uh, along with all the feedback of uh, Mary T. Mary T again, I'm going like that. I'm going for Mary T. Mary C. Um, which was really, really positive again. People were, again, marveling at her knowledge, her awareness, her, how articulate she is, how brave she is, um, how encouraging she is and inspir inspiring, very inspiring kind of person. So you're inspiring lots of women. Um, again, the easy on the ear comment, people saying it's a great voice that she has. She's easy to listen to. Um, and looking forward to more uh, from Mary. Mary C. Uh, Mary C. Lynch. So there's lots of feedback there, but um, I got a bit of a few comments on um, the Tin Man, and they were kind of like playful comments. I leave him alone. He's a, he's a nice poor Tin Man, and he's living alone. <laughs> like as I made him, he could become a coercive narcissist. Could become a cunt. Um, but I'm I'm still thinking like. Well, yeah, but couldn't that be an interesting way to look at it? Because the coercive control relationships, seldom, they always start in a lovely way, you know, with those lovely moments. And then you might get like love bombed a bit, you know, and wow, it's great, you know. And and, and good relationships start that way too. They, they, they can end up in a lovely story. But it's it might be useful to look at it that way. Because it's so, oh, the lovely tin man, and they're going to get together. And it's like, great that she cares about him, and da-da-da-da-da-da. And he turns out to be a right pox, you know, an awful so-and-so gradually, you know, where he has her down in a basement eventually, you know, where it turns one day, he's kind of like, you know, where were you till now, you know, but, but, but not in the like, oh, I've been worried about you, you know, and it's, it starts slowly, starts to turn the, <laughs> and, and you, you love the person, so it's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll overlook that, you know how it goes, da 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 before you know where you are, you're chained up in a basement. And he's got a chainsaw. But as Redza points out, that may be done psychologically, you know. But it actually may play out really as well, you know. Um, yeah. I meant to say that's kind of funny. Leave the Tim Man alone. <laughs> he's a narcissistic prick. <laughs> That's Ocean Colour Scene. Off the same album, it's nice to have a lovely song called Step by Step. And it's a lovely little quiet anthem for healing. Going to take it step by step, little by little, that's all. You know, so it's like I was saying, you know, yes, a day at a time, one change of thought at a time, one change of direction. Maybe I'll do it differently. This Maybe just for today. Just for today, I won't beat myself up. It's good, isn't it? Just for today, if I catch myself saying, like, what the fuck's wrong with you, you know, I'll say, look, leave him alone. It's okay. That, so the healing is inside ourselves because those crafty fucking CC people, they create the setup where you've, they don't have to do anything. You've already, you've already set up the prison in yourself. So we can dismantle that. We don't need them to do that. This is the pattern now. Or, or I'll find some other fucking lunatic and then I'll get it right there. We know that one. I've said that many, many times. And no, 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 no. The code is not there. The code is inside of us. We have the code. Right? That's breaking the spell when you realize, oh, 
it's inside me. You know? Because the coercive control person is so arrogant, they're very arrogant, and they, that's the rock they perish on. Um, like uh, the, the guard with um, Nicola Haney, that, that, that documentary was on. Yeah, I haven't spoke about that since actually, because that was due to be on how powerful that was, how powerful she was, and going through the cancer. But it was his arrogance. He handed in the phone with all the stuff on it. It's like, no one's going to challenge me. So at one level, while they are, you'll hear me saying this, very Machiavellian and insidious, and it can look like they're really clever, they're dumbass fucks, basically. You know, the arrogance is the rock they will perish on. That entitlement, that arrogance. And it gets them caught, you know, and it, it was what got him caught. And, you know, Yes, the point on I, I said to Mary uh, Mary Lynch that I would make on kind of on her behalf as well is that Mary spoke about the in-camera rule quite a lot and thankfully, for whatever reason, that got broken in that, that that was public, she could name him or, you know, that was all out. And that helps hugely because, as Mary was describing, the big weapon is that's often kept really quiet and the judicial system will keep that quiet too. So it disempowers women hugely as to getting the correct information out. You know, disinformation, again, is these people trade in that disinformation. Right, lying. So, um, yeah, what a brave woman, as anyone living with that, uh, Nicola is, and let's hope her cancer recovery continues to go well. She has a great life for her little boy and has a, whatever she needs to be doing, you know. Um, he was, you could hear him speaking. He was fucking horrible, wasn't he, you know? Not that we're expecting someone. Oh, it was awful. Just to even hear his tone, the way he spoke to her, you know. There you had a... I actually, I, I remember saying this, maybe to Reds or, or to Mary, as I was watching that and I was listening to his... I got scared. You know, I wasn't really... But I felt that, ooh, you know, that you get around that type of person what they trigger in you. I'm thinking, well, here am I, uh, a 62-year-old man with a lot of experience around this. Um, I'm safe in my home watching the television and I felt the fear move through me. Imagine what Nicola felt every day. And he used that threat, didn't he, of, of our family all the time, you know. You can maybe have a little thing on them or whatever, you know. And, you know, as as was said, I think Mary was saying, he, he had expertise, uh, you know, covert kind of, uh, stalking mechanisms and all that stuff he exploited and used, you know, and that was the threat all around because she was, was Nicola's a very loved woman. You could see that, or by the way, her friends and family talk about her. So look at how one person can come in and divide all of that, try and isolate somebody, put that threat all around, you know. Our family were smart, savvy street people. They know what's what. They were, they were, they were good people, right? But look at how one person can come in and, and gag people all over the place. And it's not, that's happened so often. I've seen that happen to really smart people that would, you know, uh, are, are well able to mind themselves, look at, but someone like that comes into the picture and the threat is so horrible and the way they threaten families and friends and that's your coercive control web there. It's horrible, isn't it? It's really, really horrible. Um, 
And sometimes the recovery healing is just from the fact that another human being would behave like that. Do you know, at just a fundamental human level, I don't, I'm not really expecting that. That's where you get shocked. It's like, I'm not expecting, no one's expecting that. And that's that's half of it. You're just, you're just so shocked that someone's, you, you don't believe they're actually doing this, that someone would do that, you know. I mean, you're a domestic violence person, that's shocking and unbelievable, but it's like, there's, there's something more tangible about that. It's like, and they are remorseful and there's some sense of, okay, we, we can see what's going on here. This other stuff is all smoke and mirrors and it is disgusting. Absolutely disgusting behavior, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, so fair play to Nicola and all the Nicolas in the world and the Marys and the whoever's, whatever your name is, you know. Um, when Mary was speaking about, I think she gave a, a, a statistic that uh, yeah, people were also commenting on her ability to uh, research and recall things and know things. She's such a mind of information, you know, and on, on that day she'd come from a conference already, you know. Um, but she'd mentioned that Ireland has the highest rate of women ended up in psychiatric care. And I think I might have said in a previous podcast, Betty ended up in St. Brendan's just as I, in 1961, as I was born, we were home. And uh, she uh, clearly had postnatal depression, you know, clearly. And just through lack of care around and a, a bit of shenanigans, she she ended up going for a rest, inverted commas. How the fuck did that happen? There was nothing wrong with this woman at all. She was exhausted, abandoned, you know, all the stuff you heard her talk about. That's all, you know. She needed to be in a hotel, a spa, with lots of love and care, and someone to talk to. You know, that's all she needed. But she ended up in a lockup ward in Brendan's, worried about me being her little baby and my brother, who was Brendan, who was a year older. What's happening to them? That was, can you imagine being a mother being that distressed, you know? Yeah, that's, I was in Donnycarney at the time. That's where my father's parents were living, being minded by my Auntie Nula. God rest her soul. A uh, beautiful woman. She's passed away. So, uh, yeah, just remind me of that other, you know, and that was back. That's nearly 60 years ago I'm talking about. Uh, this stuff was going on, you know? Okay. The Soup Dragons. What a great name for a band. They were named after, there used to be this great program we used to watch as kids called The Clangers. Do you remember The Clangers? Now you've got to be, you've got to be 50 plus for The Clangers. It's about five minutes, and there was these funny little creatures lived on this planet. They got these pointy noses, and they spoke. Boop, boop, boop. They had these. They didn't speak. Speak. They just made these kind of whistly noises. And they're real cute looking, and they lived on this planet. And you had the soup dragon came. Oh, here's the soup dragon. Uh, it was, we were glued to it as kids, and so this band are called the Soup Dragons. And I researched them, and after that, uh, they they named uh, the band after the Soup Dragon from the Clangers. Clangers was the late 60s and uh, we loved it. It was so clever, so clever, very funny. Anyway, their big hit was a song called I'm Free, which incidentally was written by 
Jagger and Richards, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, uh, way back in the mid 60s. But the Soup Dragons did, with Junior Reed, did a fantastic version of that um, from an album called Love God, I think it is. Yeah, 1990. Brilliant vibe, lovely to move to. I recommend if it's a healing, healing song, right? And it, I mean, the lyrics aren't that profound. It starts off with, don't be afraid of your freedom, because I think Junior Reed's kind of got a reggae, kind of rappy vibe to him. You know, you're you're dancing already the minute you hear it, right? Or dancing inside. And it just says, I'm free to do what I want any old time. I said, love me, hold me. Love me, hold me, because I'm free to do what I want any old time. I'm free to choose how to be any old time. I said, love me, hold me, love me. So it's not really a lyric song, it's the whole energy of it, you know. And it just grabs a big healing vibe. So it's songs like this. So I remember being in a difficult time in 1990 and since then, that carry you through the songs. They can't, you know, make everything okay, but they kind of, they're like a wave of love that just carry you through on a day. And this song has been hugely helpful for me. So I was listening to it last week. Um, I was getting the bus because I wasn't on my bike. I usually cycle. I was getting the bus. And as I probably told you, I make a playlist of songs from maybe I'll do three episodes, three podcasts, and I'll, I'll make all the songs that I'll make a playlist with because there'll be a theme. And this was on it. So I'm getting, I'm up the back of the bus. Um, at the very back, it's an old habit. Go upstairs up the back, have a smoke. I wasn't happy to smoke, of course, you know. And I was coming into Dorset Street to get off. And this song comes on. Bum, 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 And I really was thinking of challenging what, what freedom means, you know. And my natural instinct was to dance. And again, I'm clarifying. It mightn't be the kind of moves you want. Just the free movement. And I was thinking, isn't society really, really funny? If I dance down the aisle of this bus in the morning with everyone all on their phones, right? People would look at me and kind of go, oh, I think we better call something. There's something wrong with this guy. It wouldn't be acceptable. But if I walked down the aisle with a frown on my face looking very busy, I'd be accepted. What the fuck is that all about? Isn't that a strange thing? I understand society norms, don't get me wrong. But, so, you'd be pleased to know, I didn't do the one I fully wanted to do. I allowed society, maybe rightly so, to kind of curtail me a little bit. But I did a bit of a shimmy, boom, 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 as I was walking, right? And down this, and then on the street, I felt a bit freer, did a little bit more on the street, you know. And there's two reasons of that. Partly, it's a natural thing to do. But two, I really wanted just to name and challenge the kind of craziest society we have, where it's nearly okay to be a coercive controller, but it's not okay to dance on a bus. People would be calling people. There'd be assessments done of me. But if I was angry, <laughs> I would be totally acceptable. <laughs> Isn't it kind of strange? You know? Um, apparently, sometimes I don't know when I have my head, headphones on if I'm doing a bit of a shimmy or a dance because I was meeting someone a, a, a while back and they said, I seen you coming along and you were dancing. I didn't even know. I kind of like that. But I really want to challenge uh, in yourself 
I'm not suggesting you do things you're very, very uncomfortable with, but just to push that. This is why I love doing group therapy. It's what I love in therapy. Let's, sometimes we have to go through some discomfort to change, but to be free. You know, we might need to endure the discomfort of the caterpillar to become the butterfly, you know? There's no growth without a little bit of pain or discomfort. And there's something about being free. So to challenge yourself, it's like, fuck it. Because fuck it can be a negative thing, but fuck it can be a really beautiful thing. Fuck it. Well, what am I worried about here? I, I'm not, it's not about shocking anyone or making anyone uncomfortable. It's about being free in your own skin, in your own body, in your own movement, you know? And anyone that doesn't want to be part of that with you, live and let live. That's fine. It's not, you know? But anyone that's drawn to you, good. So I'm I'm saying this, the dance I'm talking about publicly is more symbolic. You can walk very, very quietly, but be free in yourself. You can dance inside. Whether you want to actually express that out in your body, that's grand. Like, I know for a fact, uh, if Mary C. Lynch was on the bus, she'd have been dancing up and down the aisle with me. When you have someone with you, you can kind of buffer yourself. You know, saying Reds or Bobby, any of them, bump, 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 no problem. You know, they're not going to go, oh, you're embarrassing me. You know, they'll laugh with you, you know, um, and enjoy you. So that's more symbolic of how we interact and how we relate to people. You know, are you free to do what you want any old time? And if you're really, you're not going to do any harm. Are you free? Do you, do you feel spontaneous? Do you always have to second guess? So when you come from healing from coercive control, you're always second guessing. Uh, if I do that, he will, I, they, they she, they. It's like being in, uh, Reds are reminding me of it as she was describing brilliantly the whole situation. It's like being, trying to get into a space with an, an intricate alarm system with all lasers and you, you know, and you, you think you have a sussed out. And it's like you're, you're, you're going through these and the alarm goes off and you think, oh, fuck it. So you do it the next day, but it's all changed. You have to contort yourself psychologically to try and manage these maniacs, <laughs> you, you know? Um, but there is freedom. There is, even if we have to still be with them, but if we can break away from them, then we're healing on a daily basis on a daily basis, checking what we're saying to ourselves, how we're talking to ourselves, recognizing, ah, that's the effect of that cunt. That's not really who I am. Who am I really? Engage with the people who really love you, you know. It takes ages to rebuild trust, of course, but that's going to come with our choice of people. That's why it can be so disappointing, even if it's not a coercive control, DT, dark, tetrad person even if you get a connection with someone then you kind of think it's one thing and then it's the other it's so fucking disappointing and uninspiring isn't it you're going ah. and it may well be for them but it's like they did present this and then, uh, so multiply that into an awful dark situation how hard that is how deeply disappointing and devastating it is to for a human being to turn out that way you know to be so brutal to be so bullying to be so hell-bent on causing you suffering and enjoying it. Again, sadistic. They enjoy it. They do enjoy it, right? Don't feel sorry for them. Feel compassion for them? Yes, from a distance. Compassion that there's a, there was a human being in there somewhere. Maybe there still is. You know, your domestic violence guy, there's a human being very close to the surface there. You can get him. This other one? No. Okay. So yeah, freedoms, 
comfortable, I just question that. What is freedom? Comfortable in your own body. To be totally okay with who you are, how you feel, how you sense, how you think, how you breathe. You know, to embrace your natural essence. Uh, and this cannot be dictated to you by society or family or cultures or, you know, social norms and all that stuff. You know, yeah, we don't blindly ignore those things. We've got to live within, you know, societal norms. I get that. You know, this isn't done to hurt anyone, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, I'm not talking about being a, a kind of like a agitator in society that causes hassle and harm. I'm talking, this kind of freedom just brings joy to people. You know, but we we, we can't, if we're, yeah, we've got to be courageous. This is where real courage is, I think, you know, in human beings. When we reach in and decide, I'm going to allow myself to be me. And they may chuckle and they may go, ooh, that's okay. We can keep breathing. We'll all live. It's okay. If I ask for what I need, if I anticipate love and kindness and joy and all those type of things. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking of, uh, that's, I think that's real courage in, in people that have come from awful places and are willing to embrace life and breathe. I'm thinking of Eddie Izzard, I've mentioned him before, when he first became a transvestite. He forced actively, you know, and the courage it took to to wear those women's clothes, which he does so well. Uh, and he, he's got such graciousness in how he does it. You know, tremendous courage. That's meeting fear right on, isn't it, you know? Yeah. Okay. And the word free as well. I'm thinking of the wonderful bluesy, funky band, the band called Free. You know, all right now, that band. Um, they have a cracking song called Little Bit of Love from the album Free at Last. Great names, 1972. I believe if you give a little bit of love to those you live with, a little bit of love, oh yeah, it's got to come your way. It's like a good karma song. Now, within reason, we're not going to go... Excuse me, Mr. Coercive Controller. Uh, yeah, how are you? Good morning. Are you having a good day, Coercive Control? Are you planning some really Machiavellian shit today? Very good. Listen, I want to pour this love on you. Probably not the best thing to be doing, right? That doesn't mean we can't be loving and open. Don't let your light go off. Don't let your light go off. No matter who you're encountering, right? That's really, really important. Good karma. It'll always come back to you. Especially when you're not doing it for that reason, it'll always come back to you. Okay. So we've got to be smart, box clever. If we're around the kind of DT people, we might need to boundary that love, protect ourselves from their, you know, the bollocksology they come out with. But it doesn't mean I stop shining or being a reasonable, cool, loving person. So don't let them make you fucking dark also. That's what they want. Yep, I did the thing about empathy. All right. All righty. I think I'm drawing to a close. There was one or two more thing, points I wanted to make. I was talking about the points of woundedness. Trust is devastated. Trust in humanity. And the deeper long-term effects I've been talking about, which you can work away with little by little each day. Get involved in groups, in therapy. Talk to other people that have been through the same. Have good people around you right, that would be truthful with you 
and will shine on you and tell you how beautiful you are and you might start to believe that gradually it's not going to happen overnight because that that kind of dt abuse can literally decimate your sense of self as i was saying it's like a very deep ghastly they gaslight your whole life so you're left wondering can i trust myself who am i what does being me mean anymore you know like who is that person uh sense of self can feel like disintegrated it's a strong feature in healing is the kind of the renegotiation integration joining together our parts because they all get pulled apart you know it's kind of like healing from trauma so make no mistake about it dt abuse cc is deeply traumatizing it can leave a person unable to feel any sense of self or I'm just here to appease and accommodate and pacify and meet the needs of others, especially angry, unhappy people. It's an interesting one, isn't it? That pattern. Here's the key things at the core of this abuse, abuse, but it doesn't capture it fully. But we're trying to say one is I'm not equal. I have no right to take up space. I am not good enough. There must be something deeply wrong with me. Others needs are more important than mine. I have no right to anticipate or expect love, peace, or respect, or to be loved and adored. Okay, so it goes without saying, the healing process is the opposite of that. I am equal. I have every right to take up space. I am good enough. There is nothing deeply wrong with me. I am beautiful, right? Others' needs are equally as important as mine, but not more important. I have every right to anticipate or expect love, peace, respect, to be loved and to be adored. And to deeply yearn and hunger for love, touch, affection, tenderness, care, sex, joy, magic, fun, laughter, safety, confidence, security, to be free to be me. We have to tell ourselves that every day. We've got to say it to ourselves. We've got to try and generate feeling that act as if we believe that and it will come good the wonderful uh carl wallinger from world party they used to be with the water boys back in the mid 80s but the band world party are banned on their own and um, i love this song put the message in the box from 1990 and he says if you listen now you might hear a new sound coming in as an old one disappears this is the healing journey isn't it See the world in just one grain of sand. Put a message in the box. Put the box in the car. Drive the car around the world and you will be heard. You know, and being heard there doesn't mean shouting at anyone. It means really hearing yourself and being heard. It's a great tune and it goes on to say, give a little bit, give a little bit of your love to me. That might be a bit of a nod to Supertramp there. Because I'm waiting here with open arms. Give a little bit, give a little bit of your love to me, because I'm waiting here to behold your magic charms. Is it love that's in the air, she says. Put a message in the box. Great song, World Party, recommend it. Very healing, kind of soothing on the soul to listen to these songs. Okay. It is a radical journey. It's lifelong. Uh, it's being and doing the opposite to every criticism, insult, abusive statement and gaslighting you ever heard. You have to actively, radically practice the opposite to that. You know, every bullying asshole ever said to you or tried to make you feel, you're not. 
You do belong here on the earth. You belong in the space you're in. You're entitled to breathe in and out, to think freely, independently, to hope, to dream, to anticipate love and kindness and care and respect, and to feel that for yourself. You know, that vital to repeatedly reprogram yourself. It's vital to do that to to your self-belief system. You've got to reprogram your self-belief system is what I'm saying to you, really. It's what I'm saying. We've got to rebuild, as I said, to reconnect with our true essence, which was always there and will always be there and will be loved and adored by the right people. Yeah, so you've got to love and adore who you are. I know this can feel like an uphill battle, but baby steps, little by little, step by step, day by day. Little seeds, you know. I'm going to finish with a little bit of a, a, a kind of a, a Van Morrison section, if you like. And his song, You Make Me Feel So Free, from Into the Music, 1979. Um, some people spend their time just running around chasing circles, always chasing some exotic board. I prefer to spend some time just listening for that special something that I've never heard. You Make Me Feel So Free. Beautiful song, The Healing Journey. He says, how can I even talk about freedom when you know it's a sweet mystery? You make me feel so free. Yeah. And I'm going to quote Maya Angelou. But from that same album into the music, Van Morrison has a song called Angelou. And I wonder, is he talking about her? I want to kind of think he is. I don't know for sure, though I can't you know, say that. But Maya Angelou says... Remember, you are better than you believe, stronger than you seem, more beautiful than you imagine, more loved than you could ever know. How cool is that? You know. Uh, Van Morrison's Someone Like You, song from Poetic Champions, composed in 1987. I've been all around the world, marching to the beat of a different drum. But just lately I've realized the best is yet to come. Someone like you, someone exactly like you. The best is yet to come. And that album also has The Healing Has Begun, which I referred to before, you know. The Healing Has Begun. Okay, so my very last few lines to you, and thank Jer, my editor, of course, uh, is also from Maya Angelou. And she says, and I think this is powerful, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did but people will never forget how you made them feel. Ain't that the fucking truth, huh? Think about that. You know, what way do you leave people feeling having been in your energy? What way do I want to feel? You know, what, what way I'm thinking of different people who I don't really want to be around because of that. You know, again, I'm not talking about once, once off, we can have a bit of, you know, I mean, when that's the general vibe with someone, you're left disappointed, uninspired, feeling a bit shame, feeling not good, you know, repeatedly, but you don't feel that around other people. Well, that's a person you don't need in your life, right? So remember that people don't, won't remember really what you said or what you did, but they remember how you made them feel. I love you and leave you on that one. And we'll talk with you soon. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Twilight Conversations. If you'd like to contact me about the content or any question or comment you have about the podcast, 
you can do so on the Twilight Conversations at gmail.com. So, the Twilight Conversations is an independent production. If you'd like to contribute towards the making of the podcast, you can do so on patreon.com forward slash the Twilight Conversations.